Hello, everyone. I'm Trudy Lee Richards from Silo's Message in Portland, Oregon. And this is the Day of the Winged Lioness, our podcast on rebelling against death. Today's episode is our very first. It's called A Back Door to Transcendence. But before I get into that, I'd like to say something about how I got myself into this. It started when my 30-something kids told me that they don't watch my YouTubes, but that a podcast might be different. That was when I started thinking about it. But it was Miguel who spurred me on. Miguel is a warm-hearted and adamant soul, the son of some dear friends, same generation as my own kids. And around the beginning of the pandemic, he kept telling me that I should start a podcast. I always figured he was joking, but I liked Miguel, and I liked the idea. As a writer, I have a lot to say, and I'm always looking for an audience. So why not? I already had a good mic. All I'd need to do was say what I want to say, read a few poems, play a song or two, and record everything on GarageBand. How hard could it be? It turned out to be a bit more complicated than that, but by then it was too late. I was hooked. So I had to figure out what to say. I mean, really, what do I have to say that's so important? And how inflated is my ego that I think anyone is going to want to listen? My ego's obviously thriving, or I'd never be doing anything like this. As for my topic, rebelling against death, I think I can safely say that it's about as timely and relevant as they come. In fact, considering the new awareness around death that is currently being born kicking and screaming from the loins of the pandemic, this podcast should be wildly popular. So what exactly do I mean by rebelling against death? I mean living as if we were never going to die. As if death were nothing but the flimsiest of illusions, and the future were a wide-open, boundless expanse of possibilities for growing and evolving in all the best possible ways until the end of time. World without end, amen, as the Christians would say. Or to put it as Argentine sage Silo might, to rebel against death is to dedicate one's life to humanizing the earth. And what is it to humanize the earth? It is to end pain and suffering, to learn without limits, and to love the reality you build. I'm quite serious when I say we do not die, because I've visited the place where that is obvious. The place where we do not die is a million times more real than this supposed waking life, and it's not even far away. In fact, it's right here if we go deep enough inside. Ah, you might say, another spiritual nutcase. That's all very nice, but I need to solve my real-life problems. And I'll answer that your problems should be right at home here, because they're rooted in your belief in death. Because no matter who you are, I'll wager that you suffer over the idea of dying. And that this is true even if you never think about death, even if you think you don't fear it, even if you're sure we just go poof so there's nothing to worry about. I'm not talking just to you personally here. I'm talking to our entire culture, 
so much of which is tethered to the compulsion to run away from death. I don't blame us. We all know we're going to die. We've all lost loved ones, and no one has ever come back to tell us what it's like on the other side, if there is another side. And the unknown, especially if it looks like it might be painful getting there, is the scariest thing there is. So there we are, confronted with our inescapable doom. The easiest way out is simply to distract ourselves from the reality of death. And in our Western culture, we've gotten so good at that that most of us live our daily lives as if we really were immortal. The only problem is that we believe just the opposite. In fact, we're so terrified of dying that it's pretty much a taboo subject. So much easier to pretend that it isn't going to happen to us. Think about it. Why do we spend so much time glued to our screens in the grip of shopping, gambling, gaming, overworking, thrill-seeking, finding our soulmate? Why do we have to keep accumulating money and possessions, seeking fortune and fame? If we were really okay with life just as it is, why would we need all that? Wouldn't it be enough to have the bare essentials for a more or less comfortable existence and just relax and enjoy life? Who could say no? Except that there's death, the enormous wall across the future that no one can get around. Obviously, since you're still listening, you like this subject, this queasy thing of death. And maybe you'll resonate with these words from Silo's message. There is no meaning in life if everything ends with death. So welcome to our podcast about living as if there were no death, since there isn't. Or if you prefer, about living a meaningful life by rebelling against death. I make no claims to being rational here. Because obviously, on the rational level, even I know that we do indeed die. I've seen the bodies with no one home. Yet I also have certainty based on experience, even if entirely subjective experience, but then what experience is not subjective, that the death act is nothing but the cleverest sleight of hand. As Silo puts it, death is the biggest illusion there is. I particularly love what he said in 2004 at the first annual celebration of the community of Silo's message in the high Andes. Friends, I would like to transmit the certainty of immortality. But how could what is mortal generate something immortal? Perhaps instead we should ask ourselves, how is it possible for the immortal to generate the illusion of mortality? That says it so beautifully. Death is an illusion, something that's not real. But it's such a convincing and unnerving illusion, even scarier than the monster that lived under our bed when we were kids, that pretty much everything we do is oriented towards running away from it. But if our whole way of life revolves around the fear of something that isn't real, doesn't that call into question everything in our culture, including reason itself? That's why I like the image of the winged lioness. The winged lioness is all about the unsoundable depths, the irrational power of beauty, of strength, of a ferocious love of life, 
that springs from a source far deeper and truer than reason or belief. In the realm of no death, the realm of transcendence, reason and beliefs don't matter. So don't worry about whether or not anything in this podcast is believable or makes sense. We're entering the realm of transcendence through the back door, through emotion, through intuition, through beauty, through the surging deeps of our collective being. that I've explained myself, I'd like to read you a story. A story about me and Johann Sebastian Bach, my dear friend who lived 300 years ago. I was 12 years old, a curious, lonely, enraptured child, full of forebodings about the mysterious future. One evening, when my parents and my little brother and sisters were all busy with their various pursuits, I felt like listening to music by myself. Retreating to my mother's music room, I put on a recording of J.S. Bach's musical offering and lay down on the cool wood floor to listen. My mother was a music teacher and was always blasting classical music through the house, so I'd heard this piece before, but I'd never really listened. That evening, lying there in solitude, gazing up into the dark, I did listen. Abandoning myself to the music, I let the pristine, untrammeled construction of melody and rhythm fill me and carry me upward, upward and upward, suffusing me with bliss. at the peak of this rapture, recognition filled me, and I knew through and through, deep in my bones and to the ends of the earth, that all is well. Without the slightest doubt and with utter relief, I knew that life is sublime, and that there was nothing to fear, because life held me close and would always guide me. Hushed in the sublime, I rode that clear, sweet tidal wave until it spread out in silent ripples, a sea of peace washing clean all time. The music ended and I lay there a long time, tears streaming down my face. And so the music of Bach became my refuge. After that, even though I was still a lonely misfit, I was never alone. Writing or drawing or cooking or dreaming at home, I would listen to Bach, and when I went out, I carried Bach's music in my heart. Soon after that first meeting with Bach, I began to see the people singing. In my mind, I would imagine the joyous masses flooding the streets all around the world, all humanity lifting their voices together, singing Bach, joy surging in their veins, all guilt and grief and fear assuaged. This vision comforted me deeply. 
I was sure that if the people could sing Bach, the world would be transformed. The slow years of my youth passed, and finally I was no longer a child, and the world called. Shy as a whisper, terrified, yet needing life and love, with a clamorous, bleak longing, I ventured out on my own, carrying Bach in my heart. I wandered far and wide in those days, a flower child wearing nothing but an orange parachute for a dress, looking and looking for love. In all my longing, in all my lonely searching, Bach was with me, guiding me. Only once did he fail me, and that was not his fault. It happened one day when I swallowed a blue pill that instead of bringing me love and light, hurled me into a solipsistic hell in which life was nothing but a cruel and meaningless joke. Emerging at last from that drugged defeat, sweating and sick, I put on my Bach and heard nothing but empty banging. My world collapsed. For months after that, I was in despair. Through all that, even though I did not know it, Bach stayed with me, silent but true. A dear friend came to my rescue, and little by little my heart rebuilt itself, and Bach sang forth again, and life grew full, and love spread its wings in my heart. It was only much later that I understood what had flung me into that hell. I had tried to use my rational mind to wrestle the heavens from their heights and the beautiful tool of reason had turned on me and left me nothing but a hollow, whimpering husk. But that was nothing that Bach and the joy of life were not equal to. Contrary to my horrified belief during that nightmare, even my trip to hell had a meaning. That was what drove me to look, avidly, single-mindedly, and without ceasing, for meaning in life, something that without looking no one ever finds. That was many, many years ago. Since then, I have lived with Bach never too far away and have taken refuge in him over and over. The music of Bach spans everything from the abyss to the heights. It transforms everything, makes everything sacred, touches the being of my being. Sometimes I neglect Bach for a while and when I once again let him wash over me, I blush with joy and can only prostrate myself before the glory of life, or as Bach himself would probably say, the glory of God, a terminology I am fine with, because even though I belong to no church and no religion, I think I know, or at least I have an inkling of, what he means by God. I also know one more thing. I know that the day of the people singing is near, that it is coming fast and furious. On that day, all human hearts will open, and the friendly multitudes will fill the streets with joy, and trusting and loving each other, we will banish all doubt and all fear. And then we will be ready for the eternal beginning of all things.
I'll conclude this first episode of the Day of the Winged Lioness by reading some poems, three short and one long. The first one is a tiny poem about deciding between burial and cremation. I wrote it in response to one of those advertisements that you get at my age about cheap cremation and how it's going to save your loved ones all kinds of money. So here we go. When I contemplate my death, moldering coffin or flames, the guide says, bow down now before every moment. The second poem is a random impression of death that came to me from who knows where, but one that I really like. It's called Death Comes Like a Dancer. Death comes like a dancer, dark and exultant, striding and turning with great gestures, gathering all. Terrifying and beautiful, fierce and impersonal, he comes whirling from the side when you least expect him. Young and proud he comes, power streaming from him, announcing the new. My third poem is about the place I mentioned earlier, the place where we do not die. I visited that place around the turn of the millennium and had a particularly powerful experience that death is not real. After that adventure, I became more or less obsessed with returning there and opening the way for every other human being who wants to go along. I've written more in depth about that experience in my novel, The Confessions of Olivia, and also have described it on YouTube in my report from the place where we do not die. But for now, I'll read a poem about it. The Free Country. You can't live there while you're still here, not this kind of living, breathing this air, this blood ringing in your ears, tasting this spittle. But you can visit. And afterwards, if you peer carefully into the dusty periscope of memory, you can spy the gleaming reflection of where you know you've been. Once, by a lucky accident, I woke up there and spent a long, timeless time there, immersed and vastly relieved, for many reasons that I've forgotten. But I remember the wide-open meadowland, lit by a million suns and stars, a bounteous new adventure speaking to me, warm and tickly within. And when I returned here from my secret escapade, one thing I knew, clear and fresh as morning, when the truth penetrates this ancient cocoon, the death lie will crumble and explode into nothingness, like the thinnest film of moisture on a summer morning. And my last poem is about a visit with my husband after he died. Jorge was one of the greatest loves of my life a humble, amazing human being, whom I'll tell you more about in another episode. He and I had been together for 25 years when he died of lung cancer in 2010. At that point, I already knew that death is not real. Nevertheless, his death was very convincing, and no matter how much I told myself he was still somehow with me, 
His loss hit me hard, and I grieved for a very long time. I did, however, have inklings now and then of contact with him. One of the sweetest and the most real took place in a dream about three years after his passing. That was one of those astonishing, blessed dreams that is realer than real life. And the next morning I wrote this poem. In the River House Oh, my dearest love, was it a trick of my mind that you died and left me? Escaping into realms I could not penetrate? For here you are beside me, alive in this very moment, in this yellow kitchen, at this long table with friends, in the house that goes down to the river. Here you are with me, alive and smiling, sad that I left, but glad to the brim without a trace of rancor that I am back again. Now memory clarifies me and relief floods me like the rising day for it is clearer than the song of life that here with you and nowhere else is where I belong. Can it be true that it was I who left you and not the other way around? That some requirement of destiny trapped me, some theater I had to play out alone? And you, kind soul, bowed to your role while I fled weeping away? For I have believed in death, and mourned and wept and learned the ropes of living just on my own. But now that I have seen you, held you, and kissed you so sweetly once again, I do remember, nothing is so real as our love. How I have longed, not knowing the depth of my longing, to be at your side all these years. And now I know you keep a place for me here in this river house, by the deep, sweet waters, where children and friends and a feast await. Love, let me dream you beside me until we next awake. That concludes the first episode of the Day of the Winged Lioness podcast. Thank you for listening. For a transcript of this episode and for more creative work by friends of the community of Silo's Message worldwide, visit wingedlionpress.org. Don't let the lion-lioness thing confuse you. This podcast is the day of the winged lioness, but the website is Winged Lion Press. That's Winged Lion Press, all one word, no punctuation, dot org. Finally, if you'd like information about the virtual meetings of the community of Celo's message, send us an email at wingedlion at gmail.com. That's wingedlion, W-I-N-G-E-D-L-I-O-N, at gmail.com. Have a wonderful month, and see you next time.